Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast downloaded over three-quarters of a million times in over 160 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jules Savage, coming to you from Ngunnawal and Nambri country. This is episode 254 of the Australian Hiker Podcast, and in this week's episode, we continue the journey towards ultralight hiking, the final chapter. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice, so that each episode is available as soon as it's published, and if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. In November of 2016, when we launched the Australian Hiker blog and podcast, one of the first articles and podcasts that we released was A Journey Towards Ultralight Hiking. This article and podcast discussed the concepts behind ultralight hiking and my reasoning for trying to light up the load as much as I could, or we could for that matter, uh, to become an ultralight hiker. We revisited this in 2018, prior to my starting the trip on the Bibbulmun track, just to see how light I could actually travel uh, to reduce the impact on this thousand kilometer trail. In this episode, I bring a close to my journey towards becoming an ultralight hiker, having landed on a philosophy that will carry me forward, even if the journey never ends. We hope you enjoy. Just to provide a bit of background in case anyone hasn't read the original articles or, or listened to the original podcast, what is ultralight hiking? And in all honesty, these are arbitrary figures that, that someone somewhere in the past <laughs> has decided defines a lightweight or an ultralight hiker. There really are three levels of ultralight hiking that are accepted by the community as being gospel, if you like. Uh, but no one really has sat down and said, this is it. When we're talking about weights in relation to ultralight hiking, we're talking about the base weight. And base weight is the weight of your pack minus consumables such as food, water, and fuel, and falls, as I said, into three levels. The first one is lightweight, where your base weight is nine kilos or less. The second one is ultralight hiker, uh, and that's the base weight of four and a half kilos or less. And the third one is super ultralight hiking, where your base weight is 2.5 kilos or less. That means you're pretty much not carrying anything other than bits and pieces in a pack. Yeah, yeah that's about it. Uh, and jokingly, one of the industry luminaries uh, also came up with the term stupid ultralight, um, where you're carrying so little gear, uh, should an emergency arise, <laughs> you don't have the gear that you need to, uh, to manage that situation. I'm not saying just because you're a super ultralight hiker that's the case, but really you're not carrying much. Uh, and if something does go horribly wrong, do you have first aid gear? Do you have everything that you need to manage that situation? Probably in most, hands, in most cases, the answer to that is probably no. Certainly from a point of view of ultralight hiking, this has probably been driven more by me than it has by Jill. And in my case, it was driven by a desire at some point in the future to walk the 
Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail. And while this may never happen, it was certainly a desire to lighten my load as as far as I possibly could, uh, just to minimise the impact on my now-ageing body uh, to make things much easier. Yeah, and it's not so much a... An, an issue that I've ignored, um, but I want my pack to be as light as possible. I don't want to carry a lot of weight. And I think, you know, when we started out, we were probably like a lot of people carrying things that we didn't necessarily need and and also didn't need for emergency purposes. Now, before we go on from here, if you have had the opportunity, listen to podcast episodes 2 and 73 which were the previous iterations of this episode, uh, just to show you where we started from, where I was five years ago, uh, and this episode will take you through to where I am now. Yeah, I'm not sure that we want to encourage people to go back that far (laughs) to podcast episode two, but uh, if you're game, (laughs) go, go for it. And there are also written versions of those podcasts if you don't feel like listening to the podcast as well. Now, really, the journey started um, based on a walk that Jill and I did in the Australian Alpine region, not far from Canberra, where we had some fairly decent uh, ascents up some fairly steep roads, and I was carrying around about 19 and a half kilos of gear. Jill wouldn't have been too far behind me on that one, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it, it was a real slog, particularly on some of the really steep gradients where, in some instances, we had... Uh, a one in four gradient, which is a pretty pretty decent sort of gradient to try and get up a hill. Yeah, I think there was a bit of whinging on that that hike that day. So we came away from that deciding we needed to lighten our packs uh, and we did that by going through a series of steps or actions. And the first one of those was to actually weigh the gear. Um, now, this does two things. One, it provides an indication of where the starting point is. So in trying to lighten my load or our loads, uh, we at least know where we're starting from. And uh, you know, when we weigh our packs every so often, it gives us an opportunity to see where we're actually heading to. Now, those weights that I mentioned were the entire pack weight, not just the uh, – that included the consumables. So it included water, included food, included stove gas as well. Uh, and I think, in all honesty, that's not an unreasonable thing to measure. Um, you can put an awful lot of food and water into a pack, um, but uh, yeah, certainly it's uh, this incl- that nineteen and a half kilos in my case was the full pack weight. Yeah, that's right. And and I think you know even today, whenever we go somewhere, um, the last thing that we do is do a test pack and uh, weigh the whole lot and make a decision about whether or not you know we actually want to carry what it is that we've got in our packs. Now, I'm a information-driven person. I can be a bit obsessive in, in some of the things I do. So if you look at the cover image of this podcast or go to the written version of this podcast, you'll see a series of scales. I do actually use four scales, two for weighing the gear, and I'll use two just to make sure that there's, a, uh, there's no errors. Uh, I also have a, uh, a recent acquisition which is a very lightweight set of scales for weighing things under 200 grams uh, and has an accuracy of around about 0.3, or sorry, 0.03 of a gram. And we also have a set of scales which we use 
for weighing a weighted pack. And that's more, um, you know, it's not really doable on the uh, the kitchen scales or the small scales we've got. This one we basically hang from these scales. Now it gives us an indication of what the weighted pack is. It's just a simple uh, gauge that you use to weigh your travel bags. And I think the other reason, apart from being able to have a starting point, it also gives you a list of what your equipment is. Uh, and I think in a lot of cases, people end up buying you know, an extra pair of socks, an extra knife or something here and there, and they end up with multiple examples of particular items without realising it. And by going through and putting it into a spreadsheet or a Word document, whatever format you want, it gives you an opportunity to say, well, at least I know what I've got. Uh, nothing worse than going to an outdoor store thinking, I need this, and all of a sudden you look at your list and realise you've already got it somewhere and you've just got to find it. Oh, you've got three or four, Tim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next step we look at is what didn't we use? So on that track that we talked about uh, at the start of this episode where I had 19 and a half kilos, there was a lot of gear in that pack which I didn't end up using. Now, there are some pieces of gear like first aid equipment that you're not going to jettison. I, I have never used my first aid to manage an emergency on, on, a, on any hike ever throughout my life. Now, I've used things like Nurofen, I've used Band-Aids, but I haven't had to get it out and do a, a and, and splint somebody's leg or do a sling on a broken arm. And, and on that basis, I could potentially jettison that gear because I've never used it in the past. Uh, but sure enough, the time that I need to use it is the time I don't have it. And while I can be fairly creative, and certainly when you're doing wilderness first aid, you get creative in, in things you use to splint legs, having things like a sling or having things like compression bandages, you know, not really something you can replace in the bush. So you may never use them. Uh, it does add weight to the pack, but it is worthwhile having them. And I think that's also the basic philosophy around first aid anyway, that you, you have it and you have the training because you may need it, not necessarily that you will need it. Now, on this basis, uh, for that particular track that we, we talked about, uh, our stove set at the time was a Trangia stove set, uh, and we've got an image of that in the written article of this, this podcast, that had three pots and a, <laughs> uh, uh, and a fry pan, uh, and you know we only ended up using one pot. So why were we carrying the extra weight of the other uh, pot and uh, uh, and fry pans? Because it all fitted together neatly, Tim. Yeah, and it did. That's 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 the way it did. It fit together as a kit. But you know, on future hikes, in most cases, the Trangia stove sets were much more common than they were these days. It was pretty much the the stove of choice for many people. Uh, and you know, they came as these nice little bundled sets, and that's the way you tended to leave them. But in my case, or in our case, what we tend to do is not so much cooking, it's more boiling water to rehydrate food or make a drink. So we don't need all the extra bits. So being able to jettison that additional uh, weight just made sense if we weren't going to use it. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's probably the the point in terms of all the way through this discussion, which is about what's important for you um, and what do you really need. Um, and for us, we didn't need it. And that's something you can look at with any of the gear you, you use. You know, when you come home from a hike, you unpack everything, you clean what you need to, you put everything away. 
have a look at it piece by piece, item by item, and see if there was an item that you didn't end up using. Um, now, if it was because, you know, as I said, first aid gear, that's a different issue. Safety gear, that's a different issue. But if you didn't use a down jacket because it was the middle of the summer and the cold temperature was going to be 15 degrees, maybe look at not taking that the next time you do a hike in similar conditions. And again, that depends on whether you're doing a couple of days or whether you're doing several weeks because we know that the conditions can change over several weeks. So, you know, again, it's a judgment um, about what you do and what you don't take. The next thing we went through and looked at in this process was multi-purposing. Now, there are a few things that I use that serve more than one purpose. On short overnight hikes or even for a couple of days, I will carry a decent quality hiking pillow uh, because I'm not particularly worried about weight. On a multi-day or multi-week hike where I'm carrying uh, food, anything up to seven or eight or nine days of food, uh, the pack can sort of get up in weight and I want to try and minimise that as much as possible. So I won't carry a pillow on those longer hikes. What I do in that case is I'll use my clothing pack um, which has my spare clothes, like spare underwear, spare socks. Uh, it will have my uh, 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 puffy jacket in there unless it's really cold, uh, and I'll end up using that as my pillow. Um, and I'm quite comfortable with that. I sleep quite well with that. Uh, now, a hiking pillow, even a good quality hiking pillow, probably is going to only weigh under, around about 100 grams, so it's not a lot. But you know, 100 grams here, 100 grams there, all can add up over the whole weight of the pack. Yeah. And and for me, I don't think, uh, I don't know how to say this, that hiking pillows are actually as comfortable as they could be. So, you know, the difference between not having one and, and using one is so marginal for me um, that I may as well not take one. So, yeah, it's one of those sort of things. Can you get away with multi-purposing uh, equipment? So my buffs are another example. I don't carry a winter beanie, and that's just me. Uh, I'll, I'll carry two buffs. One's a, a wintertime buff and one's a summertime buff, uh, and that will keep me out. If I double the wintertime buff up, minus seven, not a problem. It keeps me nice and warm. Yeah, I need I need a beanie. <laughs> I need gloves. <laughs> so if it's cold, I've got the lot. Um, and you know, again, if we're going to be away for a few weeks, then um, even a week, um, I, I will want all of those things just in case. Okay. So the next thing is gear replacement. Now I have got gear that 15, 18 years old, or just on 18 years old. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it. So again, I've, I've given some of that gear away to family members. Um, I do occasionally sell off gear, uh, but some of it I still don't mind having as spares in case we take family or friends hiking, uh, or I'll still use it around the house. So things like headlamps. So I tend not Sorry, to... I'm just laughing at you walking around the house with your headlamp <laughs> on because apparently we don't have electricity. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> Wait till the apocalypse. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's one of those sort of things where it's having your list, having the, your, your list saying my sleeping bag weighs X. When it comes time to replace your sleeping bag, um, 
you know, do you want to go for a lighter weight sleeping bag? And really when you're talking about gear replacement, fit and comfort are the main priorities. And from there, we've got a, lump, a load of other factors to consider. Um, but really what it comes down to it is weight, durability and cost. And from a hiking perspective, pretty much you can have two of those things. You're unlikely to be able to get a piece of gear that does all three. So a lot of really lightweight hiking equipment tends to be fairly expensive, but it doesn't tend to be as durable. So if you think of the old hiking gear from years ago that was pretty much you know the canvas backpack, the canvas tents, which we tend not to use for hiking anymore, still nothing wrong with them. And if you've got a tent that you don't mind carrying that weighs <laughs> four kilos, <laughs> five kilos, go for it. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the sort of thing. The big three, the uh, tent, the sleeping bag and your pack, are the things where you can make the biggest impact on your weight reduction. But even the, some of the small items that might only weigh at one or 200 grams, uh, you might not be able to hard that weight, but you can, you can do 50 grams here or there or 30 grams here and there, and that all does add up. So look at the considerations when it comes time for replacing gear and, and, and balance the durability, the price, and the weight uh, based on your own personal needs and requirements. One thing I'll talk about here is uh, there's a lot of cottage industry type of tents that are on the market these days with what we used to call Cuban fibre, which is now more known as Dyneema Composite Fabric. Cuban fibre is a bit easier to say. Yeah, Cuban fibre is a bit <laughs> easier to say. Uh, and it is really durable in relation to uh, getting holes or punctures in it, uh, more so than a standard tent but it doesn't work very well from an abrasion point of view. That's actually the weak point in that fabric. Uh, now, in most cases, that's not an issue, but if you put your tent up and it's rubbing on rocks, uh, you can end up putting a hole in your tent uh, quite easily. Uh, so there's always pros and cons with any new gear, new equipment that comes out on the market. And if it, it is really, really lightweight, uh, typically that often means that it, it won't be, not always, but won't be as durable. Yeah, that's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, you're out in the elements, so you do want something that's going to be reasonably uh, tough, uh, not just for those particular moments, but, you know, durable for the life of um, however long you're going to have it and the, the use that you put it to. Um, so you don't want it to be too sensitive and you don't want to be fussing about, you know, making sure it's not going to get scratched or, you know, completely clearing uh, the um, the tent site to make sure that there's absolutely nothing there. You know, if you spend a long time doing that, you, you're interfering with your enjoyment, I think, of, of being in the elements because it is about a little bit of roughing it in a way. In this sort of uh, category or this sort of um, um, aspect of, 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 of down-weighting your, your gear, um, I, like most other people, my original sleeping mat was a foam roll, uh, just the, you know, the half-inch sort of foam mat which you rolled up. Uh, we still have those. We still have those. <laughs> uh, from there, I went to a self-inflating mat, um, which was a big luxury in comparison. Uh, and then I went to the air-filled mat, which is what most hikers tend to use these days. Now, the foam mats, 
you know, bulletproof. You can't really do anything with them, but they're not as comfortable. So, again, it's the compromise between comfort and durability uh, and the air-filled mats. I've only just replaced my air-filled mat uh, in the last six months after about eight years of use. So it had a pretty good life and it's done a lot of work. And it had a bit of patching too, you know, along the way. But uh, I did discover, Tim, that when we came back from uh, Cape to Cape and I'm the one who gets to inflate the air mattresses um, after we put the tent up and do all of the sleeping bags and all of those sorts of things, I did discover that Tim had an airbag that would have made it much easier for me to inflate his new air mattress. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't very happy about that, thanks. And and do you know what he said? He said, oh, no, I just didn't want to carry the weight. <laughs> I was like, that's fabulous. But I was passed out every night <laughs> trying to <laughs> inflate this huge, absolutely huge mattress. And that's because when we're two-person camping, Jill uh, sets up the tent and the sleeping gear while I go and start getting dinner ready. Oh, we're trying to get points now. We're trying we to get points. But, uh, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm in the tent because I'm a little bit uh, more nimble than you are. <laughs> I can crunch up into a smaller space. So, yeah, as is, yeah, as Jill said, yeah, for the sake of 40 or 50-odd grams for the, yeah, the bag, bag that goes with the sleeping mat, <laughs> I decided not to take it. So. I might carry it next time. <laughs> We're going to talk about food next, and and again, purely from a perspective of what is an ultralight hiker, food which is a consumable is not included in that. But in all honesty, food can end up being one of the biggest weights in your pack. And certainly from my perspective, the maximum food I like to carry is around about 10, and I will stretch that to 12 days, uh, of food at one go. Now, Um, We'll talk about food specifically, but when I first started off, the the old thought was you you carried two pounds of food per person per day, which is 908 grams. I have never carried that much food on a hike. I cannot physically eat that much food in a day. It's a lot of food. Now, particularly these days when you're talking about dehydrated food, which weighs very little, I I just can't imagine carrying that much food. And even when I first started off, my food allowance was around about the 750 to 800 grams per person per day. I will bring any leftover food home, or in the case of the Bibbulbin track in 2018, I sent it home and then weighed it at the end of the hike to see what I wasn't eating and how much that weighed. What's allowed me to do is to get my average daily food usage down to 612 grams per day. Uh, Now, this is dehydrated food, this is high-calorie food, and this means that, you know, on a – for 10 days, I'm carrying just over 6 kilos of food. Uh, For five days, I'm carrying just over 3 kilos of food, which is a a manageable sort of prospect. Well, the good thing is that you keep eating it and it gets lighter. It does, yeah. (laughs) Your food bag gets lighter. (laughs) So it's really only the first day and every day it lightens up. Now, if I'm doing a hike that's one or two days, I'll carry all sorts of really nice food. I'll carry cheese, as in camembert. I'll carry quince paste. I'll carry all this luxury sort of food that you know really has a limited lifespan as far as perishability, uh, but will last particularly overnight. And you know, if I did that on a daily basis, it would add up to quite a lot of weight. But if I'm only carrying one day or one night's worth of food, weight's not an issue as far as food goes. 
The other thing that um, really has changed for me is hiking practice, and this feeds back into food, which I'll talk about in a moment. Uh, and the biggest change for me in the last seven years occurred on the Tasmanian South Coast track at the end of 2022. And I just found that my breakfast options, which had suited me well for around about seven years, you know, dried cereal, uh, overnight oats, uh, I just lost interest. And I think it's one of these things, you, if you keep on eating the same things over and over again, eventually it, you just don't tend to cope with it. So jerky is another one. I don't eat jerky anymore. I love jerky, but I just can't seem to stomach it on a hike. And I, you know, it's just one of these things. Um, it's just a a quirk of uh, I've got I've been there, done that. Don't feel like eating it anymore, but I'll eat it at home. As a result of that, I ended up uh, having you know what I had left over from that hike was cereal. <laughs> so had I needed to extend my hike for another couple of days, that wouldn't have been a problem. Uh, but I would have been eating cereal for breakfast, lunch, and tea for two days. But yeah, I wouldn't have starved. Uh, and what I was finding that I was doing uh, was because I wasn't eating cereal, I also wasn't getting my stove out and having a hot cup of tea in the morning as well. Uh, and I was just eating a breakfast bar or a uh, uh, a muesli bar uh, as I was walking. So I was finding that um, in addition to reducing my food weight because I'm no longer carrying cereal anymore and and muesli bars just tend not to weigh as much, uh, I also found that I was getting out of camp around about half an hour earlier than I normally would do because that that time of setting up the stove, having a cup of tea, just sitting there and savouring a cup of tea uh, and having my cereal, uh, that, that cost me around about half an hour in preparation time uh, and eating time, uh, whereas just by having that additional muesli bar or breakfast bar, I'd pack everything up, I'd start walking, and I'd be eating as I was walking for the first 10 or 15 minutes, nibbling as I went. So the thing here, though, is that you're talking about a time when you were um, hiking solo. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think you 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 go hiking for all sorts of different reasons. Most people don't hike solo. Um, so that social aspect of, you know, having a cup of tea in the morning and uh, having a bit of a chat about the day and, um, you know, basically not running away from the um, campsite at great speed, um, That that's, you know, part of the journey for, for most people. And, you know, we do that when we're together. Um, you may have modified what you eat, but we still have something to eat. We boil some water and we have a bit of a chat. So you're probably not getting away any faster when you're with me. Um, and it makes sense that when you're solo hiking that that's what you want to do. But I think, again, this is, you know, what suits particular circumstances is what we're talking about. Yeah, and, and it is. You know, solo hiking, when the, I'm trying to cover big mileage in a day or big kilometreage in a day, different issue. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's it's really what suits your style of hiking. Uh, but as Jill said, for solo hiking, it's now changed what I do. And it, and it, and it, it's, it, for me, that was the biggest shift, if you like, over the, uh, uh, the last seven years because, again, extra time uh, and reduced weight, which allowed me to get my weight down to uh, the weight that I have in, in relation to my food. The other thing that surprised me over the last six to eight months, and I'm going to say here, ignore everything we've just gone through and said. Now, not everything, but uh, in 
I'll use a couple of instances here. Uh, in the last six months, I've added two pieces of gear to my hiking kit. One's a replacement kit, and that was my sleeping mat, where I actually didn't replace my old uh, sleeping mat with the same model. I went for a warmer and heavier version. Uh, now, when I'm talking about heavier, I'm talking about an additional 80 grams and a slight increase in bulk as well. Uh, but really, you know, this is the first time I've ever increased the weight of something rather than reduced the weight. This is for a couple of reasons. Jill used to complain about my sleeping mat being really noisy and squeaky, and the new mat because it was and the new mat. Oh, I didn't hear it. Uh, <laughs> and and the new mat is you know as much as Jill says not the new mat is much quieter. It's quieter. Yeah, I would not say it was much quieter, <laughs> but there are ways of dampening the noise. Yeah. Um, and it's um, it's also a warmer mat as well, which means I get a a better night's sleep because it's a it's a noticeably uh, warmer sleeping mat. Now, yeah, not, that's not, good for you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it works really well. The other thing that I did was this just wasn't a replacement. This was a totally new item that I added to my pack, which I've never carried before, and that was a sit mat, uh, and. In the case of the sit mat I'm talking about, it's a small piece of foam that looks like a miniature version of the um, the foam, uh, the high quality foam sleeping mats that are used these days, uh, and it weighs forty grams. So again, it's it's almost non-existent in weight. It takes up very little bulk. Uh, it fits in the side pocket of my uh, my pack, so it's easy to get out. But for- I think you should have substituted the airbag <laughs> for the sit mat. <laughs> if it was 40 grams here or 40, gra- 40 grams there, the air- I'm telling you the airbag <laughs> needs to be included. So in my case, I spend a lot of time on any hike because I'll normally snack as I go, but around about every hour and a half, I will just stop and sit for a break. So I'll stop an hour and a half after I've started. Um, normally an hour and a half, that is a lunch break. Then an hour and a half after that's afternoon tea, maybe a second break, but usually not because usually by that stage I'm I'm getting towards the end of the day. And he's a pretty fussy sitter, so you know I'll I'll find anywhere to sit or squat or, um, you know, lean. Uh, Tim won't. No, and I I so I have spent um in the case of going back to the Bibbulmun track again, where there was rain for twenty seven days out of the thirty five days I was walking. <laughs> Now, it wasn't heavy rain. Sometimes it might have been light rain. But it meant that a lot of times when I was looking for a log or a rock to sit on, it was either damp or sopping wet. Uh, so I'd have to keep, you know, I'd find a perfect spot with a perfect view at the right time and just have to keep on going because it was soggy and wet. And this little this little sit pad has allowed me to find a rock or a log, uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's wet or not, or I can sit on the grass if need be. Uh, because I keep my backside war- uh, warm and dry. Uh, nothing worse than having a wet wet backside when you're trying to walk. It just seems to soak right through you. <laughs> well, so, it's kind of funny because um, you know, I find other things to sit on, but yeah, don't usually have. I don't have the sit pad. But then again, I'm carrying the airbag now. <laughs> <laughs> so, as I said, one item which I've added to my uh, pack, one item which I've increased the weight of. So in going 
upwards in weight, I've added an extra 120 grams, you know, which I've probably spent a number of years trying to reduce. So where am I now? In all honesty, if I am not carrying my podcasting equipment, um, I am sitting at 7.99 kilos, so just under 8 kilos. If I am carrying my podcasting equipment, it's 8.45 kilos. Uh, and that makes uh, that sits me in both instances as a lightweight hiker. I'm nowhere near the 4.5 kilos to become an ultralight hiker. Uh, and even ignoring the podcasting gear, being able to lose around about 2.5, just on 2.5 kilos, um, I'd only ever be able to do that in very specific environmental conditions where I knew that it was going to be hot at night, hot during the day. I didn't need a a, um, a, a, a puffy jacket to carry. Um, I was, wasn't was using a stove. Uh, you know, that's what the sort of thing I'm going to have to do to get even remotely close to that. And in all honesty, I don't think I ever will. Um, but, you know, that's where I'm sitting at, at the moment. And the gear that I carry will keep me protected and warm down to minus seven and up to 30 degrees plus. Yeah, so I'm about um, – I'm in the eight kilo range um, and there is a lot of uh, gear there for when it's cold, uh, when it's hot and <laughs> when it's wet. So, you know, I possibly could go lower but um, – uh, I need all of those things for the comfort and uh, in, including a decent uh, mattress to sleep on, including a very warm sleeping bag. So, you know, you know, again, these are choices uh, that we're making and uh, there's probably no chance of me becoming a super ultralight hiker. No, there's definitely no chance of that. As a final wrap-up to this podcast, I don't think anyone's going to argue that carrying less weight on your back is more comfortable. It's just a fact. The lighter your pack is, the more comfortable uh, your hike is. Uh, And typically what you're looking at is, uh, there's an old adage, comfortable on the trail, comfortable in camp. So carrying a heavy pack that's loaded with luxuries, you know, you're going to feel it when you're walking, but when you get into camp at nighttime, you've got a nice seat, uh, you've got, you know, you may be even carrying a portable DVD player, which I've seen people carry on trail. Uh, That's a and, bit of a blast from the past, uh, Tim. It, it is, yeah. <laughs> These days you can generally do it with an iPad or a, uh, some sort of electronic device. But really you've, you've got to make that choice is what are you looking at? You know, you know if, it, if you're carrying, and I've seen people carrying 34 kilo packs, um, that is just not comfortable in any way, shape, or form. You know, it just you know you need to get the weight down. And while the the um, the preference was to carry a weight less than twenty five percent of your body weight, I still think that's too high. Personally, I think twenty percent is probably the maximum you want to aim at. Uh, and when you you know if you know what your body weight is, then then, then you can say, well, based on that, this is what my pack weight is. Uh, and then you need to look at what gear you need based on the conditions that you've got uh, and see what it is you can try and get it to, to get to that roughly 20% of your body weight. Yeah, and we have to remember that, you know, this is not this is not the military and we're supposed to be having fun. You know, we're supposed to be enjoying what we're doing. 
So the less that you carry will contribute to that. Now, as mentioned previously, there are some items you should never get rid of. So having a first aid kit of some sort, and what that is, is really you're, you're going to define that. Uh, but as I said, I've never used a compression bandage. I've never used a sling on a hike. I will always carry them just in case. So you know, I'm not going to try and save weight by jettisoning those those sort of items. Yeah, but again, you know, the the weight of those is marginal as well. Um, you know, we've probably got a, um, you know, several crepe bandages and several slings and several this and several that. Um, you know. You, 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 you can have the bare essentials um, and still be safe. So I think in my in our journey towards becoming an ultralight hiker, I think we've pretty much got a philosophy now uh, and that you know we've gone through and talked about what that is in this in this episode. However, as, as I mentioned, I'm never likely to fall into the ultralight category, particularly as a blogger. But what I would say is, I'd encourage everyone to take a serious look at their equipment and what they're carrying in their pack. What are the options for jettisoning that gear, uh, for replacing that gear with lighter gear when the time comes uh, to reduce the impact that you have on your body? Yeah, and the thing to remember is you you don't actually have to fill your pack to its limits. (laughs) No, and I think that's it. I think if you have a pack that's got spare space, you tend to go through and fill it. So really you should work backwards from that and work out what gear you need and then work out what pack do you need to buy from there. Now I'm in a situation where I'm lucky enough to have packs of multiple sizes. So on a four-day hike that's not in snow conditions, I will use a 36-litre pack uh, and that fits all my gear quite comfortably. Uh, Anything longer than that, the food pushes me beyond the limit of that pack um, rather than the gear. So you know, it's the sort of thing that if you've got a 60 live or a 70 litre pack, don't fill it up just because you can. <laughs> so while my journey continues, I've landed at least on the philosophy for now. Okay, we hope you've enjoyed the final visit to uh, my ultralight or our ultralight hiking journey. That's all for this week's episode. Bye for now. And bye from me.